The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, hello and a very happy Monday afternoon. Morgan Black and Brad Whisker. We like to call ourselves the dynamic duo back in action while Jaylen is out sick today. So we're going to take you into this uh, not yet snowy it was Monday snowing afternoon. earlier this morning. Do not, I, I Brad, do not start the show like this. No, I poked my head, but it, it wasn't too much. I mean, we can't complain compared to what Southern Alberta dealt with over the weekend. Snowpocalypse. Apparently, Lethbridge is shut down today. Like, government closed, schools closed. They got 40 centimeters of snow. I feel so bad for them. That's a rough go. And you know, one of the best things about our beautiful prairie landscape is a lovely fall to look forward to. Yeah, we don't get that that often. <laughs> we have so a, we need to I em- can see yellow on the trees right outside. We need to embrace this while it's happening because at any given moment, just one day we're going to wake up and there's going to be that forecast for four or five days in advance that says, it basically says, get ready, it's coming, it's going to be brutal. Try and remember how to drive. I'd be interested, interested to know how many people have left their house without the winter coat and immediately regretted it because you're not used to it, right? There was a day (laughs) in college that... Oh, we're taking it way back. Yeah, and it was late November, but it was in Ottawa, so not too much snow yet. Fairly typical. I was wearing flip-flops. Surprise, surprise. Brad loves his flip-flops. I sure do. And I wore them to school that morning, and I had a four-hour class, but no windows were in that classroom. So it's just a regular day. We're learning what we're learning. And after that, I was able to go home. And as I'm approaching the door, it is, you know, snowpocalypse outside. I have to walk about (laughs) a kilometer to get to my bus stop. And I'm in flip-flops. My feet the whole way home. I was trying to maneuver them around the bus anywhere I could. Oh, there's no answer here. To find a heater. I looked absolutely ridiculous but mind you people didn't know i was up early and the snow came later but anyway they didn't know your story i had they just uh, saw the dude in the flip-flops i I had a snowpocalypse incident and we are going to talk more about snowpocalypse later in the show we're going to talk to you uh to an expert on how to help new and young drivers and even those mature drivers deal with snow because we all know it's coming we all feel those frustrations when we're out on the road and we see someone and we're just like no you're going too fast. No, this is not what to do, but we'll get there. We're going to start off with news of the day. A jury to be chosen today for the trial of a man accused of trying to kill a police officer and of running down pedestrians two years ago in Edmonton. You'll remember that's Abdullahi Hassan Sharif, who is in his early 30s, facing a total of 12 charges. Constable Mike Chernick was on duty outside an Edmonton Eskimos game at Commonwealth Stadium on September 30th, 2017, which is crazy to think that was two years ago. It still feels like just yesterday when we heard that news. Yeah, I was watching uh, Global Edmonton this morning and those graphics came up of that night and then they put the date at the bottom and I just, it's hard to believe that things go by so quickly and how quickly you forget how far away they were. So two years to today, a driver crashed through a barrier, got out of his vehicle, pulled out a large knife and began stabbing Constable Mike Chernick. And as we said, Abdullahi Hassan Sharif faces a total of 12 charges and those include aggravated assault, dangerous driving and five counts of attempted murder. And and throughout all of this, I mean, you think, okay, the jury's being selected, but the question that, that came to our mind was, well, what actually goes into jury selection? How do you make sure that both sides are getting the people that they want to hear the prosecution? And so we, of course, reached out to our friend. I think we can call him our friend at this point. We love Ari. Ari Goldkind, a criminal defense lawyer. Hey, Ari, how are you? 
Hello, dynamic duo. <laughs> Hello, dynamic singular person. Um, we we just have we, we want you to take it to us right from the beginning. How how does jury selection work? What is what are both well, sides right looking from the for? Begin, right from the beginning, I think the most important question here is how did this guy even get into Canada, stay in Canada in order to wreak the carnage that he did? Political correctness often shuts that conversation down, but people interested in the story, that's part one of this. But now that the jury's being picked. The way it works has actually been changed very significantly in law in the last week. Bill C-75, which is sort of the Jody Wilson-Raybould last uh, strike of her regime, came into law now. And the way juries are picked are very different. And you guys know the case we're talking about here, but I'm sure you also know the case of the Via Rail terrorists. That ring a bell to you? Oh, yeah, I remember it well. I remember it well. Now it's coming back. That's exactly right. So now that's tying into my answer here, which is all of these high-profile jury trials throughout the country. There was another one in the Eaton Centre where there was a big shooting. So for anybody who's been to Toronto, you've probably been to the uh, Eaton Centre and a guy shot up the Eaton Centre and uh, killed people and his trial was overturned because of jury picking problems. The way the law has changed now is that it's extremely simple. It used to be relatively complicated where members of the jury, potentially, would assist in picking other members of the jury. Now, how does that work and what does that mean? There is what's called the challenge for cause. So if you have a Muslim charged person, a black charged person, uh, or other racialized minority, you could often ask a question to say, and I'm going to paraphrase it here for time, prospective juror number 42 are you a racist? And depending on their answer, other members of the jury or potential members of the jury would say that that juror is acceptable or not acceptable. So theoretically, if the person, not you two, of course, but if the person said, no, I can't be impartial because I hate black people or I hate Muslims, technically they'd be kicked off the jury by other members of the potential jury, lay people who get the call in the mail and come to court. C-75 has taken all of that away in two folds, and we'll talk about Colton Bushy because the end of the answer comes back to Colton Bushy, that notorious case, which you both, I'm sure, know very well. Now, the judge determines everything. And where that leads to Colton Bushy is you'll recall all the hullabaloo that it was an all-white jury and that, and that the lawyers, particularly the defense lawyers, were kicking off the jury with what's called peremptory challenges, where essentially, if you know the old cliche, I don't like the cut of somebody's jib, you would have a number of challenges, sometimes 12, sometimes 14, etc., to get rid of somebody on the jury that you didn't want. And in Bushy, the criticism was is that the defense lawyers made the jury white, even though the media ignored the fact that the prosecution try to make the jury more aboriginal now those challenges are completely gone and i'll pause there because you might say what effect will that have on juries going forward well there's that Ari, and there's also the fact that does this make things easier because the way you explained it was very clear and concise but i feel like for people maybe attempting to be on a jury or maybe attempting not to be on a jury depending how they look at things it sounds like this is making things a bit more difficult, is it not? Well, in a way, 
it's trying to simple there's two parts to it so again the challenge for cause which is essentially the racism component that is being cleaned up and let the answer that the potential juror give be sussed out by the judge i can understand that if the judge hears somebody say i'm a virulent racist i'm from the k i'm exaggerating here but you have the drift it's you don't need a lay person to say whether that person is kosher or non-kosher in honor in honor of Rosh Hashanah today. You can have a judge say, "I don't want this person anywhere near a jury." And theoretically, judges always act fairly. They'll get rid of them. Where it becomes much more interesting is on the peremptory challenges. So let's say I'm in a big city. I'm in Toronto. You're out west. Somebody's in Montreal. You often will have a client who is a member of a minority. So let's say you have a black client charged with something where there's a good defense. Well, if you see 15 white people come into court and they're the next 15 potential jurors, but the next three or four people are black, you might have used the number of your challenges, 12, 5, 3, to try and get a jury that looks a little bit more like the person you're defending. Now... That's sort of out the window, and we're back to the idea, which a lot of lawyers often act in jest about, say, we'll take the first 12 people off the street. There's something tempting to that, but that's sort of the way the rules have gone now, and if you don't like the way somebody is looking at your client or something about them, you're really going to have to raise a concern with very little information, and a judge is likely going to say, Mr. Goldkind, what are you basing this on? And my answer will essentially be my spidey sense, and the judge is going to say that's no good. So are you ever able to argue in a in a way that, that your spidey sense becomes a valid reasoning? Because it seems like you're in a, a very tough position trying to defend your client if, if that's the way things are going. And you hit the nail on the head, which is why your question is so wise, because here's what happens. As a result of one case that Twitter doesn't like, and I'm being serious here, by the way, I'm not being my usual semi-serious self, because Twitter and a very vocal minority of people did not like the Colton Bushi verdict. They took the way that the jury system has worked for hundreds and hundreds of years throughout the Western world and Commonwealth countries. And because the verdict from Bushi wasn't liked, and you'll remember Jody Wilson-Raybould, back when she was trying to be a martyr, and Justin Trudeau, they tweeted about it. And they said, we don't like this verdict either. So rather than understanding that the verdict was actually sound, the jury was properly and fairly picked by both sides, they have radically changed the law. And in the ostensible idea, this is why your question is so wise, to make it better and fairer, what they've done is exactly the opposite, particularly if you're a racial or minority person in a big city, your lawyer now can't in looking at the potential jury pool or looking at what's coming down the pike, you can't say, you know what, I have a black Muslim or Indian client. I might like to have one black person on my trial, one Muslim person. You can't do that. That's why the Bushi verdict was such a stupid, stupid uh, catalyst for change in the jury system. And I can tell you that it's not going to make anything better for anybody accused. That being said, I'll end my answer here. Most people listening to me are like, I don't care about the rights of an accused person. I don't care about that. But when you do what I do for a living, you most certainly do. So let's go back to to the case at hand that's being selected for jury today in Abdullahi Hassan Sharif's case. In your opinion, what, what do you think an ideal jury pool 
could look like on either side. Is is there is there a way to to characterize what that would look like for either side? It really depends on how the people show up. For example, you get the call in the mail based on roles. For example, in Ontario, they're trying to change it to uh, OHIP, which is the health role. So for our, our system of health care here, a public system in the age of Trump and Obamacare, we have a public system. The way it used to be in Ontario, and this will answer your question, is it used to be based on property tax owners or the property tax base. Well, traditionally, people who owned property you can finish this sentence if you wanted, tended to be more Caucasian, more upper to middle, upper middle class, and less reflective of the changing and massively changing demographics in Canada. If anybody understands our immigration numbers, they're incredibly huge. But you would not necessarily have those people coming for jury duty because they didn't own property. So for Mr. Sharif, back to your question, a big part of it depends on who shows up, who's on the rolls to be called. But if you're the defense lawyer for this man, and remember, a lot of this is going to come down to mental health and all these other mental health issues that everybody who does these terrible deeds goes down the I'm mentally ill uh, road. Uh, If you're a defense lawyer and you get 12 Caucasians walking in and you don't see anybody who resembles Mr. Sharif or has his background, that might concern you. However, Jody Wilson-Raybould, in her infinite non-wisdom, I emphasize non-wisdom, has decided to make jury trials much harder and much less representative, I emphasize this, less representative as an accused person, all as a knee-jerk gut reaction to Twitter not liking the Bushi verdict. Ari, I wanted to ask you a question about about jury selection. And over the past couple of years, we've had many stories of former jurors coming out and say they're they're suffering from PTSD. Do you feel like a lot of people who show up for the original roll call to potentially be on a jury are lying? We're not lying, but maybe bending the truth a little bit. Let's go with that when it comes to certain questions, so they don't have to take part in a trial that could end up being very graphic and very violent and disturbing. Well, if you want a real answer, because you asked me a great question, which we talk about all the time, that is something we discuss all the time. I say it to my associates, my juniors, my articling students, when I have them come watch a jury trial, watch how many people will say the dog ate my homework, I have a plane to catch, my work won't let me out of this, uh, my grandmother is sick, uh, my brother was assaulted in the same way, my girlfriend was assaulted. Now, some of them are being genuine, of course. But there is this pervasive idea, and this is why your question is so interesting and real, that people want to get out of jury duty, not necessarily for the PTSD, it's hard to do reasons, but they just don't think it's something that they want to do. And what ends up happening, to take your question in a bit of a different direction, is almost every study and discussion done about juries in Canada, and particularly the U.S., but also in Canada, is that once a juror, even somebody reluctant, picture somebody going with their teeth gnashed and kicking and screaming where the judge says, you're on this jury, almost to a person, they find it the most rewarding and important experience of their life. Because remember, Canada, other than paying far, far too much taxes, doesn't really demand too much of a citizen other than taxes, death, and being on a jury. And people find it very, very rewarding. The mental health PTSD aspect, I think, is overused. However, if somebody is on a trial where a man is charged with chopping up a young child 
or the, the worst kind of animal cruelty or the worst kind of cruelty to a child or a woman, and it's brutal and it's barbaric, and you're seeing those pictures, there really should be something in place, and there is now, but there should be something in place for those jurors after that experience to have somebody to talk to. I think that's a positive step. I just worry that it's overused in our snowflake culture. That is the voice of Ari Goldkind, a criminal defense lawyer who we always appreciate his take on things. Thanks, Ari. Pleasure. Thank you.